Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in, it, in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's uh, commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you once again for this precious word. And we pray now that our attention will be focused upon it. Lord, that we may feed from it, that we may grow through it. I pray that our hearts will be open to your truth in a manner that we may not only learn the precepts that you would have us to learn, but also that we may exercise those precepts in our lives. Lord, that we may live more fully for you. Grant us your understanding. Grant us your grace, Lord, and the wisdom that we need, Father, to walk wisely in this world. We pray these things in the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this topic of righteous judgment. Okay, so specifically righteous judgment. And I first began by looking at the warnings that God gave us about judging unrighteously and the things uh, concerning judging carnally, judging harshly, judging unrighteously. The Bible instructs uh, to judge one another. Instead of judging harshly, the Bible tells us that we are not the judges of this world. We are to judge one another, if anything, with great grace and mercy and patience. Because that is the same way the Lord is with us. And so we are to be the same with one another. And last week we looked at this pattern of judging righteously, which also begins with judging ourselves first. To look at ourselves in this way that God actually perceives us and sees us, because that is what repentance actually is. If you've ever wondered what repentance actually is, it isn't crying in a corner and feeling sorry for yourself because of what you've done in the past. That's not repentance. Repentance is changing your mind about the way you are and understanding the way you are. So before I saw myself as a righteous person, I saw myself as a person who didn't need salvation. I didn't need Christ because I'm working my way well enough to heaven. And here comes God and he says that you are a sinner beyond this ability. You cannot work your way to heaven. You can't make it there. And so therefore you need to humble yourself and accept the salvation that I'm offering to you. And that salvation was won for you by my only begotten son. And so I was humbled because I understood at that point there was no righteousness within me. And the only righteousness that I would receive or have was the righteousness that ultimately came from him. And so the most important judgment we can make is not only judging ourselves with respect to God, which is repentance, but also judging this matter of Christ and who he is and what he has done 
And what does that have to do with me? And how am I supposed to respond to that? Because that is the most important judgment we will ever make in our lives. But it, in, in fact, forms the first judgment, the most important one. Without these two judgments, judging myself and seeing myself as God sees me and understanding what position I hold before him and then understanding Christ and responding to the message of the gospel, there cannot be any other righteous judgment. You see, because all you're left with is the flesh. All you're left with is with a carnal nature because you have not received the new nature that God has given you. This whole thing about being born again is telling us that God plants within us a new nature, a new person, a person that is now detached from the old person that I was. That's why when we get baptized, we go under the water because what we are saying and declaring to everyone is that me died and I died with Christ and I've risen to new life, to a new identity, which now God does not see me the old way anymore. He sees me now as he is. Beloved son, beloved daughter, beloved child, adopted into his own precious family, into God's own family. And so it is at that point that we receive a new nature which can appreciate the depths of God's word and God's truths. Without that new nature, without the mind of Christ, we cannot understand those things. Therefore, we cannot judge righteously. So... Do we expect people, is our expectation to expect people in the world who are unsaved to judge righteously? No. And we shouldn't be upset. We shouldn't be uh, surprised if the world doesn't judge righteously because they don't have a new nature. That cannot discern these things. The Bible tells us that a natural man cannot receive the things of God very clearly because the Bible says they are nonsense to him. Nonsense. They don't make sense. But once a person has received the Spirit of God working within them, the Spirit can then lead that person into all truth. Without this, there can be no righteous judgment. So salvation is the key. Salvation is the beginning of that walk in righteous judgment. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Did you get that? So we receive the Spirit of God so that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. In other words, so we understand what this new relationship is all about and what God has done for us. Which things also we speak, he says. So we respond to those things. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So 
It's only when you are born again, saved, when you receive eternal life as a gift from Jesus Christ, the Bible says only at that point can you appreciate the deeper things of God. In order to judge properly then, we must have the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. That is the bottom line. And it's the Spirit of God that leads us to judge correctly based on the truth. This understanding cannot come without the Word of God. If you put aside the Word of God, you cannot reach that truth either. The Spirit does not teach you in a void. He teaches you from the Word of which He is the author. So that we have this amazing blessing that the author of the book that we hold in our hands in the seat, in the seat that we're sitting today and where I am now, the author of a book is the one who now teaches us the book. Because it was the Holy Spirit who guided men to write those words throughout the ages. Over the course of about 1,500 years, he was the one who led people to write. And now he is the one who is teaching us what it all means and how, to, how it all fits together. The things of the Spirit of God are found in the Word of God. If you take away the word of God, you have taken away the textbook that we need to learn from. And it is precisely this, which is what we're doing at the moment, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, comparing one passage to the other and understanding how it all fits together. It is the spirit who teaches us through his word. Now, the Bible is... In, generally in our society, not respected the way it was in the 1500s. And so we have seen a downgrade of the Word of God in the churches. They've been fooled and beguiled into believing that the Word of God is outdated or outfashioned or that there are concepts in there that aren't right. Today, people hear that the Bible may have some nice things in it, but generally its teachings are not relevant to an enlightened age such as ours. It's been attacked incessantly over the past 100 years. And because of this amazing offensive by the enemy on the word of God, because he knows that if he can remove the word of God from churches, the churches will not exist anymore. And what we have seen in our society is are slowly moving away from the word of God. Even Baptist churches, amazingly enough, and Baptists who were not even, you, you couldn't even count them as Protestants when they, when they emerged. In fact, the Protestants hated the Baptists because the Protestants, although they, they believed in salvation by grace through faith, the reformers, the Baptists came along later and said, but hang on a sec, why are you still baptizing babies? The Bible says you're supposed to baptize someone after they believe which means they have to be old enough to understand what sin is and, and who, the, who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he did. Because the concept of baptizing a baby is foreign in the Bible. It doesn't exist. And so the, Bapt the Baptists were rejected by the Protestants. And the Baptists who have historically been tied to the scriptures alone and have said, we follow no person. We don't follow Calvin. We don't follow um, Luther. We don't follow any particular person. Who's, who's the head of the Baptist church? There is no one. We aren't named after anyone. The reason we're called Baptists is because other people gave us that name. 
Do you realize where the name Baptist come from? It actually came, it started with the term Anabaptist. It was a derogatory term. Those people that rebaptize all the time. They don't accept, you know, the baptism of babies, so they just rebaptize everyone. So we got stuck with that name. And we said, okay. We'll live with that. Even Baptist churches today, you walk into the through the doors of a Baptist church, you don't know what you're going to find in this country. There are all things being taught from those pulpits. Environmentalism and latest philosophies and whatever else it is, but they've moved away from the word of God. And the other error, so the first one is downgrading of the Bible, the other error flows from the first, is that Christianity must somehow show a united front of the world. Because the world started saying, hang on a sec, what are all these denominations in Christianity? You're not united. And so what they said was, oh, we have to show a united front. We have to show that we're all together, all arm in arm, singing Kumbaya. And so they created the World Council of Churches, the ecumenical movement, and all these other different types of things to bring all the churches together, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Protestant Churches, the Baptist Church. They, try, they want to bring them all together, all together under one roof to say, look how happy we are, how united we are. We don't have differences. So what the teaching was is that we want to show people how united we are, how we have so much in common and that the differences are only minor. That's not true. The differences are huge. The differences are, 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 are immense. What's been sacrificed as a result of the Bible being rejected and people turning to other things all right, to find their truth is that doctrine has been sacrificed on the altar of convenience. Thus, doctrine has become a dirty word. When you say the word doctrine, some people go, the hairs on, on, their, on their arms stand up. Doctrine, as if doctrine is an evil word, as if doctrine is something that separates us. Modern Christendom, in modern Christendom, doctrine is a dirty word. And modern churches that we see on TV speak little of doctrine, lest they might lose some people because it might, they might get offended. And so they're, they're, they're fearful of offending other people. And so what they do, they only preach on the doctrines where everyone can be happy with. I better not preach about that topic because, you know, the blood of Christ, I mean, the blood can be offensive to some people. The whole idea of a man bleeding to death on a cross, a man who was whipped, beaten, and then bleeding, that's not a very nice picture, is it? We don't want to offend people, so let's make it a bit of a different. Let's change that story a little bit. But one of the hallmarks of genuine Christianity is following doctrine. In the early church, in Acts 2.42, it says that when they were joined to the church in Jerusalem, it says, and they continued steadfastly in, the very first thing, the apostles' doctrine. They didn't, they didn't continue loosely, they didn't continue flippantly, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That can't be true for today's churches. 
If you've ever wondered how important doctrine is, let me take you through some passages where the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy, a young pastor. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's see how many times the Apostle Paul speaks about doctrine to this young pastor and how important it is. 1 Timothy 1.3 Paul says to Timothy, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went unto Macedonia, that they might, thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do look at verse 10 for whoremongers for them that defile themselves with mankind for men stealers for liars for perjured persons and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine look at first timothy chapter 4 verse 6 I haven't been able to list them all, but I've listed some that I've, I pray will just get this message across. 1 Timothy 4.6 If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Look at verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Look at verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And there are plenty more where these came from, even just in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, what's the first thing? Doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So why was Paul so repetitive? You know, when God repeats things in his, in his word, they must be pretty important things. And this term, this warning about doctrine is repeated over and over and over by the apostle Paul. Why is he so repetitive? Because there were already false teachers in his day, spreading false doctrine, who were taking the words that he had written down and were twisting it to say other things. And so, was that a problem in Paul's day? Yes. Is that a problem in our day? You better believe it. So go forward just a little bit to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. And this is the warning that we have from the Apostle Paul. And this so clearly defines our culture, the Western world that we live in, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We may consider our time unique, and we have every right to do that because we live, we only live in this particular pocket of history. 
with the amount of heretics and false teachers that we have around us, but the early church had similar problems. Why? For the same reason that we face today, the word of God was not around. The fledgling church, if you understand, didn't have a full New Testament. The New Testament was written only by 90 AD. So the early church only had fragments of a New Testament. And so what did God do to protect the fledgling church from that, from that ignorance? He gave them prophets. He gave them people who spoke in different languages. He gave them other people who filled in those gaps. You see, the early church required prophets because there was a gap in the Bible. It was not ready. And that's why we see these miraculous gifts finishing up with the finishing of the apostles. Because the word of God was not complete. But once the word of God was complete, all of a sudden, people had the ability to compare scripture with scripture. The book of Revelation being that last prophecy that God gave mankind. But the early church, even though it had prophets and people speaking in tongues, you'll remember in the first passage you read, he says, believe not every spirit. Because there were some people already going around teaching stuff that was contrary. They were making it up as they were going along. And that's why these things were destined to die out, because they were not reliable. God allowed them to fill in, but it, they were prone to being abused. And abuse is still going on today. That abuse is amplified today, because there are people who are saying they have prophetic gifts. They're talking garbage. They're adding to the word of God. And they're even prophesying and teaching things that are contrary to the word of God and expect people to believe them. And unfortunately, there is a multitude of people who are gullible enough not to check what they say against the word of God and swallow everything they're told. Listen to the apostle John describe his own day. 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. Now, John here is writing to a woman that he, that, that he calls a, a godly woman. Uh, he, he loves her in the faith. And he warns her and he says in 2 John 1-7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourself that we lose not those things which we have wrought but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth, always have a problem with that word, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If, look at his words, if there come un, any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So that is the warning that God, God, uh, John gave to this godly woman 
because she was so keen on helping people, on itinerant uh, preachers and travelling preachers and missionaries that were coming and they'd heard about her and they said, can we stay at your place? And she said, yeah, I want to help the Lord. I want to, I want to do things. But these deceivers had a different doctrine. And John said, don't even let them in your house. If they don't have this doctrine, don't let them in your house because by supporting them, by even saying, God bless you, you're actually partaking in their heresies. And so in the passage we've read today, Jesus warns also believers of certain people who would masquerade as spiritual leaders. But inwardly, they are destructive in their teaching and lifestyle. We are told to judge the teaching and then judge the person who's doing the teaching. Why? Because that person is ultimately destructive and needs to be avoided. We are told to judge and to judge righteously according to the righteous word of God. We are not called to cooperate with them, to encourage them, even to say, God bless you, because by saying that, we actually are partaking of their sin. This obviously doesn't include everyone who was being deceived because otherwise we couldn't share the gospel even with them. But we need to mark people who are teaching false things. The heads of churches and people who are doing those sorts of things. I had the displeasure, thanks Morris by the way, of watching a video recently on the heresies of one Kenneth Copeland. You, you fellas are aware of, uh, you, you're aware of this person? Okay. So he's a wonderful televangelist in the US. To be honest with you, it was actually very difficult to watch. The level of heresy that was coming out of his mouth, I just, only the devil could, could have invented it. And I'm going to share something with you today, just so you understand that there are millions of people who swallow what this particular fellow says. Okay? And I pray that everyone here would have the understanding, enough of the word of God, to be able to work out this fellow is not a believer. He's definitely not saved. But how can you explain the heresy, the notion that when you and I got saved, we became equal with Christ? Equal with Christ. That he was only the first begotten. And we begotten after him means he's no longer uniquely begotten got that as an idea just swallow just chew on that just for a moment how about the idea that when jesus died he went down to hell and in the, the depths of hell where he suffered in agony for the sins of man he died and he was born again in hell I, I just, I just, it just, and it's actually watching this video, it was coming straight out of his mouth, and he was like laughing as he's saying it. How about the idea that when we got saved and we were adopted into God's family, somehow that gave us the ability to speak things into existence, like God spoke the universe into existence? Um, I'm not sure what he thinks he is. But he feels as if he is God. He feels he is, it's almost by the looks of it, a God. 
the blasphemy is, and there's more, but the blasphemy demonstrates the height of the devil's arrogance. That he would take someone like this, put him on a, on a TV, have millions of people follow what he says, and spurt out this garbage to people, tells me that the devil's pretty arrogant at the moment. He's pretty bold. So we are called to judge this type of what I call filth and false doctrine, to warn others about it and to steer clear of it. But he's not the only one because we're called to steer clear of anyone who might be involved in his particular movement, who also is supporting and teaching with him. There's another thing called the emergent church, which is another issue as well, which seeks to once again bring everyone together and also distort the word of God and downgrade parts of it. There are many people in charismatic churches and leaders in charismatic churches who are teaching absolute heresy and feign the work of the Holy Ghost with acts of trickery and deception to have people running around churches screaming, convulsing, falling over, declaring new prophecies, barking like dogs, screaming like banshees is not from God. The Bible tells us that God is a God of order. Then there are those, the Bible says, who would make merchandise of you. Merchandise, which means you're their business. You're their source of income. And they make themselves rich through people by promising blessings when you donate. Hey, have you ever heard this one? Send $100 in the mail and you'll get a blessing from God. Or send $10 and you'll get a hundredfold back. I like that one. That's a good investment, isn't it? hundredfold back. The banks are only offering 3% at the moment. hundredfold back. I remember having this discussion with, a, with a, people who were going to a charismatic church and and I said, well, what do you guys tithe? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we tithe. We have to give a certain amount. And I said, oh, that's, a, that's good that you're doing, you know, we're having this discussion. Just It was a, it was a light-hearted discussion. And he said, oh, do you realise, though, that, you know, when you put $100 in the church, you're going to get at least 1000 back? I said, well, no, not really. I mean, you're not going to get 1000 back. He goes, no, yeah. I said, well, what do you mean you're going to get 1000 back? I said, isn't that for God's work? I said, isn't that reaching people and, and the investment goes into the etern eternal souls of people? He goes, no, no. He goes, the Bible teaches that when you put $10 in, you get at least $100 back of the same thing. So this fellow was waiting. He was convincing me, trying to convince me that when you invest in the church, you get that back. And I thought to myself, this is what you're learning at church. The church is like an investment account. For your money it seems ridiculous to us but this is what they're learning they're learning if you give them money you get these blessings in material that you get wealth health and prosperity as a result of you giving to the church tell that to the apostle paul tell that to the all the apostles who lost their lives tell that to the many martyrs that have lost everything that were that died in prisons being beheaded did, what did they get back giving all that they had and yet this this doctrine is common in our days and yet with the very same doctrine they deny the blood of christ they promise life but they deliver death 
And then there are those who would elevate entertainment above the word of God itself. Who are fully convinced that the most important thing in a church is the entertainment factor. Because if we don't have the entertainment factor, we're going to lose all the young people. Because young people are too stupid. They're too ignorant. They need to be entertained. And so they feed them with entertainment. And they, they feed them with a little less of the word of God. You know what? Because we haven't got enough time to give a large, long sermon. You know what I mean? People can't hang back and, and listen to an hour-long sermon of the word of God. We need 45 minutes of music and 15 minutes of the word of God. That's the right balance. Last time I checked, the early church didn't have a band at the front. <laughs> Apostle Peter wasn't rocking and rolling at the front. Yet if these churches, which rely so heavily on entertainment, if you switched off that music for a month, I wonder how many would go. What are they there for? Are they there for God? Are they there for the word of God? I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but there's a problem. And there are plenty of people who will tell you that you need to fulfill your potential as a person that if you just believed in yourself that if you just believed all things would be possible for you that you can achieve anything in life hey last time i heard everyone saying that in this world and they're teaching that in the churches the fact that so much of this nonsense is, is sold in christian bookstores and is always the best sellers you know when you see the best sellers in the christian bookstores kurong and word they're the ones you don't buy. Okay? But it tells us what state the world is in when we speak about Christianity. And the devil has done a wonderful job because what he does is if he can't twist the truth, he buries it under an avalanche of misinformation and garbage. So you can't find it. And the truth is becoming more and more difficult to find in a world of so filled with disinformation. The devil is not stupid. He creates false doctrine, first of all, to look very close to the original one. So you don't pick up the, the hint that there's something wrong. And then the next time he'll bring it a step further and then a step further. And by the time you realize it, you're believing that you are equal to Jesus and you can speak things into existence. Don't get me wrong. I'm not just speaking of the modern day churches because they're not the only ones who we have problems with. In fact, the problem has been around a very long time and I came at it, most of you know, I've come out of the Catholic churches, but the Catholic church and the Orthodox churches are it's the same thing. Let's give you an example of the heresies that are contained within the Catholic church because some would say, oh, Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are they really? Okay, let me explain to you some, some wonderful doctrines that they have. That Jesus' blood is not sufficient for you to be saved. You have to finish that job off yourself. That Mary was sinless. Sinless. And she didn't need salvation. In fact, she was so good and so holy because she was the mother of God, right? That she became a co-redemptor with Christ. So Jesus redeems us. They teach that Mary redeemed us as well. The 
They'll teach you that Mary can answer your prayers, that saints can answer your prayers. So where do most Italians go praying to now? They don't pray to Jesus because he doesn't understand me, but a mother understands me and my local saint understands me. So they parade around with these saints and they've got no hope. And just to show you the level of their corruption, um, they'll even corrupt the thing which would seem to be almost incorruptible, the Ten Commandments. You would think it's impossible to, to corrupt the Ten Commandments, wouldn't you? They're simple. There are ten. Right? But because they have statues in their church, guess which one they remove completely? The idols. The second commandment. So God says, you know, that I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods apart from me. The second one is, thou shalt not make an idol unto thyself. Of anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth, thou shalt not bow down to that thing. You're not to kiss that thing. So they have statues of Jesus and Mary and all the saints and they bow down to them and they kiss them and they worship them. And in order to get around that particular thing, they have no second commandment. Now you might ask, you might say, because those of you who are good at mathematics, if you remove one, how do you get 10? Well, let me explain to you how easy that maneuver is. Because the final command is, thou shalt not covet. And that command is pretty sim simple. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ox or ass or goods. They split those two things up into two. So they have a ninth, which is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And then they have a tenth, which says thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ass or ox. You like that? That sleight of hand is very easy to do when people don't have the word of God. Because once you have the word of God and you see the second commandment says, thou shalt not make an idol of thyself of anything in heaven. You quickly realize there's something wrong. Jesus warned his own disciples to beware of false prophets. He says, because I'll come to you like sheep. They'll look holy. They'll sound holy. They'll look as if they're as if they're, you know, they're on God's side here. He says, but beware of them, because you're going to judge them by their fruits. Their fruits will eventually show up what they're like. He said, but be careful because they are wolves dressed. They are wolves dressed as sheep. And the thing is about judgment when it comes to us is that we need to be able to identify the wolf dressed up in a, in a sheep's clothing. To know what to do with them, to avoid them and then to warn others about them. Because if we don't warn others about the wolf that's coming within the flock, then what good are we? I'll look after myself. I know about the wolf. I'll just keep an eye on the wolf. Meanwhile, he's gone eating Alan Parry, he's gone eating Julie, he's gone eating Don. Not that these guys are very easy to eat. They're a bit tougher. Yeah. The point is, we are called to discern the right from the wrong, but also to be careful. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Turn with me there. We're almost done. We need to open up some windows. We need to let some air in here because it's very stuffy. Because when the, when the Apostle Paul called the elders 
when he called the pastors of Ephesus to, to see him when he was about to leave them for the very last time. Listen to his warning to his own pastors, to the ones that he had trained up. Acts 20, 28 says, take heed. He's talking to the pastors here, the pastors alone. All right. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made, hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse to warn other people about them. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 with me. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1 and 1 to 3. Peter says, For there were false prophets. This is the same passage that Brighton read for us this morning. For there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, privately, quietly, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, not some, not few, many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, covetousness, which means poking you in that place that wants you, that where you want to have something. It's, 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 it's appealing to your covetousness, okay, of your flesh. And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and then damnation slumbereth not if anything describes tally evangelists if anything describes these mega churches most of them i won't say all of them but many of them are being taken for a complete ride they are being made merchandise these guys are making themselves rich and powerful and they're taking advantage of people who don't know any better through covetous words. How do you appeal to someone's covetousness? Well, you tell them you can have a lot more. You can have a lot more. So when Joel Austin says that he was walking with his wife down a road and he saw this huge mansion on a thing and he said, God, I want that house. What's he telling you that for? What would he preach that thing for? Because he wants you to have the same desires as him through covetousness and thinking that if you only believed, you could have the same big house. This fits exactly into what Peter's telling us. Turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 17 with me. We're almost done now. Thanks for your patience. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 is a warning to believers in churches. 
And the Apostle Paul here says, now I beseech you, brethren. He's pleading with the brethren. Mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, look at that. By good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. They don't do it by being rude and nasty. They're doing it by being charismatic and lovely. And this is the ploy from the beginning. They prey on the simple with good words and fair speeches. But, and this is my admonition to you, my beseeching you, be armed with the word of God. Take it as your sword. Measure everything against it and use it. And use it daily. Because the devil goes around roar, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there are plenty of being devoured already. And there are plenty of simple folk who don't know the word of God who are being taken full advantage of by these deceivers. And so who's left to sound that trumpet, to warn people, to let people know that there's something wrong? It's only us. We are few in number. That's okay. God's people have always been few in number. They've never been the majority. So don't worry about that. But I will tell you something. God hates. He hates false doctrine because it takes something beautiful that he's created and then they mar it they twist it they deform it until it's no longer the same and they destroy people's lives with it please be aware judge righteously when it comes to doctrine when it comes to the truth mark them that are teaching the wrong and avoid them warn other people about them Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Do you have the word of God with you? Do you believe the word of God? Then that's great. Now rightly divide the word of God. Use it as your sword. Utilize it in the fight. Because without it, you are weaponless. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Everything else is armor. You can't go on the attack with a helmet. Let me close with one passage. 1 John 4, 4. And I'll leave you with this. 1 John 4, 4. The good news for us is if you are a born-again believer this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have the word of God and are using it as a sword, then continue on keep on pushing forward don't look back and here john tells us in first john 4 4 ye are of god little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world they are of the world therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them we are of god he that knoweth God heareth us. John speaking about himself because he was an apostle. He that is not of God heareth not us. He by know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you have the word of, of God in your hands today, you have the words of the apostle John. 
You have the words of the Apostle Paul, of James, of Peter, of Jude, and you have the Gospels. Use them. Judge righteously. God bless you. Thank you.